Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Let us listen now for God's word to us. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when the fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. Let us listen again for God's word to us. But in those days, after that supper, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power, and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near and at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going out on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, believe it or not, it's that time of year again. 
the busyness of Thanksgiving was hopefully well worth it for you because you got to spend some quality time with loved ones. Perhaps you were one of uh, the slightly crazy who braved the crowds of Black Friday, survived potential tramplings, and yesterday was either a day to travel home or maybe relax a little bit, uh, get, get out those Christmas decorations, get things, get things ready, or maybe you got to sit around all afternoon and watch a whole afternoon <coughs> slate of rivalry football games. Roll Tide. <clears throat> <laughs> and then you show up for the first Sunday of Advent, and Jesus catches us off guard again and gets all apocalyptic and weird on us, right? Around this time of year, we expect the bright lights and the beautiful colors and the ornate decorations and the joy and, and to hear about all those, those stories that we know and love so well about shepherds and wise men and angels and, the, and, and all that great stuff. And here's Jesus talking about the sun and the moon turning dark and the stars falling from heaven. Like the coming of Christ the first time, when he comes again, we are surprised and we will be surprised, even a little jarred by this forceful language and powerful imagery. Now, perhaps we should have known better by now. Perhaps we should expect by now to be surprised this time of year. Perhaps we should know that we are to expect the unexpected. After all, Advent is the season of expectation, the season of longing and yearning, the season where we anticipate and expect the coming of Christ, the light of the world, into our darkness, into the pain and the mess of our world, the coming of our Redeemer, our Comforter, the long-expected Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Now this is also the time of year where we begin to look back and reflect on the year that has passed us by once again too quickly. And we also, while reflecting back, begin to look forward to the new year, the new year that lies ahead, the promise of a new beginning, a fresh start. Perhaps this past year brought with it a certain amount of pain or grief. Perhaps you lost someone that you love. Perhaps you received some difficult news, a troubling diagnosis. Perhaps you're struggling with loneliness, depression, or things just didn't quite go your way this year. Now, this is the time of year where we begin to look forward to the new year, full of hope, full of expectation that those situations of trouble will be fixed, that tomorrow will not be like today, that a light will break into our darkness and all will be made well. It's a chance to rebuild if we need to, a chance to be restored, a chance for a new beginning. So we look forward in hopeful, even if cautious, expectation. So in the text that we read from Isaiah, we see a community that is struggling with similar questions. Except in their case, they're asking the question of how to respond when that new beginning they had so desperately yearned and longed for didn't quite end up how they had expected. How do we respond when the reality that we think is the reality that comes doesn't line up with our expectations? The author of Isaiah 64 is writing at a time where uh, you would expect that prosperity and happiness would be sweeping the land. The Jews had spent about 70 years in captivity under the heavy-handed Babylonian Empire. 
The temple, which was God's dwelling place, had been destroyed. Jerusalem had been decimated. Families were ripped apart. Many sent into exile in far corners of the empire. They were mocked by their captors. We read about this a little bit in Psalm 137. And the psalmist laments, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The pain and trauma of exile haunts the memory of almost the entire Old Testament. You can't read the Hebrew Bible without understanding the importance of this event and everything that it meant for those people who claimed to be the people of the one true God, but who also felt abandoned by this God, who would allow them to be overtaken by the wicked Babylonians. But in today's text, the exile is over. We're past that. The Persians have come through wiped the Babylonians out of existence. Now, the Persian imperial strategy was a little bit different than that of Babylon. Instead of fracturing peoples and cultures, they pretty much let them be, allowed them uh, to have their distinct cultural and religious practices. The hope was that the people that they ruled over would be less likely to revolt uh, if the empire was a bit more accommodating to them. And this would breed some loyalty to the empire. So those who had been dispersed all throughout the empire, they were told they were allowed to return home now. And Cyrus, the king of Persia, told them they can rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. They can rebuild the city. God had once again made a way for them. Their perseverance and hope had paid off. Tomorrow would not be like today. We can make a life for ourselves again. We can rebuild the emotions of this time are so overwhelming that there are even texts in Isaiah that refer to Cyrus as the Messiah, God's anointed one, because it was by his decree that the people were once again free to be who, were, who they were created and called to be. Hope springs eternal. Yet, we see in this text from this morning that things didn't go quite as smoothly as they had hoped. Rebuilding a devastated city is a bit tougher than it might seem. Many of the people who had been away for over a generation, they returned to land that they thought was rightfully theirs to find that it had, that it had been resettled by a different family. Disputes over how to reorder their society were endless, and the divide between those who had remained in the land throughout Babylonian captivity and those who were exiled and were now returning was immense. Many came back looking a little too Babylonian, right? They had, they had intermingled a little bit too closely with that foreign culture. And at least from the perspective of those who had remained in the land, they had lost some of their distinctive Jewish qualities. Now, those who had remained, you know, they thought they had the right to call the shots, right? Because they were the ones who had been called by God to preserve and maintain this Jewish heritage in the Holy Land during this dark period. They were the ones who had been entrusted to keep the covenant. So they obviously deserved a place of prominence, right? Their claims of ownership and authority had a little bit more weight because of it. So their hope for this time of returning and rebuilding, their hopes are dashed. They're mixed with anxiety. Their excitement is tempered by these disputes 
And the joy they expect to find with this new beginning has all but faded. And so, with nowhere else to turn, the prophet cries out to God, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. The plea for God's presence with the quaking of the mountain perhaps echoes God's descent upon Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 when the mountain was covered in a cloud and it shook with the presence of God. The prophet is calling for God to come near to them as he had come near to their ancestors many generations before. You may remember the Israelites then were in a similarly precarious situation, having just been brought out of the land of Egypt, on their way to the land of promise at some point, but finding themselves hungry and afraid. Had God led us to the wilderness just to die of starvation? Where will we go next? What will we do? Is God going to provide for us or not? And it was into this chaos with these terrifying questions swirling all about, that God descended upon the mountain, made, made God's covenant with the people, and gave them a new identity, gave them a way to live and move in the world as God's chosen people. As in the creation of the universe, when God created order out of chaos, the prophet yearns on behalf of his people for God to do that again to tear open the heavens and come down into this mess. We are totally lost. We thought we could do it on our own, but we can't. One of the things I especially love about this text is that the prophet is not wagging his finger at one group or the other. He's constantly repeating this phrase, all of us. It's a lot more obvious in Hebrew where this word is tacked on the end of every, every phrase. So it, it kind of more literally reads, we are like one, unclean. All of us. We have fallen like a leaf. All of us. We are the work of your hand. All of us. Consider, we are your people. All of us. All of us have failed, but all of us are your people. It's not us versus them here. There's no shortage in God's economy. There's enough blessing and promise to go around. But we all of us, would seek to hoard God's blessing for ourselves. So the prophet rather forcefully demands the presence of God in their midst to show up once again as he has done for generation after generation. And this is a cry that I think we can all relate to on some level. As we face difficult times, crying out forcefully for God's presence, for God to tear open the heavens and come down as we face the loss of loved ones, or as we receive difficult news of diagnoses and treatments, we cry out, tear open the heavens and come down. As we struggle with depression, loneliness, despair, we cry out, tear open the heavens and come down. As we watch someone that we love continue to make bad decision after bad decision, sinking further into addiction, or isolation, we cry out, tear open the heavens and come down. As we hear the grumbling stomachs of children in our community who know nothing but a life of crippling poverty, we cry out, tear open the heavens and come down. In places like Ferguson, Missouri, and many other places across the country, there are many who feel 
like they have been forgotten by the criminal justice system. And they cry out, tear open the heavens and come down. And we watch on TV and we see violence and destruction and looting. And we, and we scream out, tear open the heavens and come down. We look around at our war-torn world. And as we gather here in the name of the Prince of Peace, we cry out, tear open the heavens and come down. Like the prophet, we know that our only hope is the God that we know in Jesus Christ. The God who comes to us, in, comes into our mess to suffer with us and to redeem us. This is what Advent is all about. But we're reminded by our gospel text this morning that just as Christ first came in surprising and unexpected ways, so too when he comes again, it is a surprise. It will be a day and hour that no one knows, so we are to keep awake, always awake, always expectant. But our waiting and our expectation, our demands for God's presence, doesn't mean sitting around with hands folded, waiting for God to show up and clean up our mess. We're called to an active waiting, an impatient expectation. We are called to the work of God's kingdom, even as we wait and hope and expect. We are called to comfort those who mourn, to be a friend to those who are lonely, care for the sick, to feed the hungry, and to work for peace and justice and reconciliation. For this is how Christ comes. So may this Advent be for us a time of impatient expectation and active waiting. Let us demand the presence of God and call for the coming of Christ in our midst as we love and serve those whom God has placed in our midst. This Advent, may we give birth to Christ through our love for one another and for our enemies, that God may tear the heavens open and come down. Amen.